I cannot speak for anyone else, but Amy, the words you said and the song you just sang were for me and Jody. Thursday night as we gathered, we were just crying together and praying together. And one of the constant things that we battle every day is fear. Just being afraid. Wondering what if that comes along that we are not equipped to handle. So as you pray for us, please pray. We try to put into practice 2 Corinthians 10 where it says take every thought captive to the gospel of Jesus Christ. But it's a struggle at times. So thank you for what you shared and for the song. And as you pray for Emma and her continued healing, pray for me and Jody. That we'll not reach that point where fear overtakes us and we lose heart. But that we will always cling to the hope that is found in Jesus Christ. Emma is still fighting an infection. Um, we've extended the IV antibiotics that she's on for another few days. And just praying that will we'll do the trick. And we believe that it will. Uh, we have faith and we're trusting. So she's doing better. But still continue to pray that God will bring about complete healing. And we are faithful and persevering in doing that. I want to direct your attention to the last book of the New Testament. The book of the revelation of Jesus Christ. And I'll direct your attention to verses 5 and 6. Although I'm going to fudge just a little bit and actually read verses 4 through 6. As you're turning there, I want to direct your attention also. We're going to multitask a little bit at the beginning. Uh, to your bulletin. During this month, we were emphasizing areas of service. And in doing so, we're emphasizing the fact that every believer... Every believer is called to serve. Service is not just for the few and the proud. It's for every believer. All who are called and humbled before Jesus Christ. So every week we're going to do our best, we being the staff, to put before you specific needs. And on the back, you'll notice two areas of need. Needs within our children's ministry that are listed there. And also within our student ministry. These are areas where we need servants. We need men and women that are willing to step up and say, here I am, how can I be involved? Also, on the inside of the bulletin, you'll notice today that there's a brochure, Serving the Savior. Inside of that, you will see a very extensive list of areas of service. Now, today we're putting this in front of you. We're not asking you to respond in any way today. However, there are opportunities for you to respond at the children's ministry table located to your right out in the lobby. However, in two weeks, you will see this brochure again. And on that Sunday, two weeks from today, we are going to ask you to mark the area that you would be interested in serving. Now, it's not a, a commitment at this point. It's just saying, I'm interested. What does this entail? So that the leaders of those ministries can follow up with you to give you more information and to see if that may be the area where God has called you and gifted you to serve. So today, we're getting this in your hands so that you can begin looking through the needs and praying about the needs and saying, Lord, where would you have me to serve? This morning from this text, I want us to see that God has freed us to serve. We have been saved for a purpose. That purpose is to glorify God. To proclaim His excellencies. But the proclamation of His excellencies is not just done by our words. 
The proclamation of His excellencies is done also by our actions. So I direct your attention to Revelation 1, verses 4 through 6. John to the seven churches that are in Asia. Grace to you and peace from Him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before His throne. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings on earth. To Him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by His blood and made us a kingdom, priest to His God and Father, to Him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Would you bow with me in prayer now? Father, I thank You that You are greater than any of our fears. Father, often our fears will keep us from serving. Because we're afraid of stepping into an area where we think we may not be equipped to serve. So Father, we ask you this morning through this passage, through the proclamation of your word to stir our hearts to see that, Lord, you have called us to serve. You have redeemed us that we might take up the servant's apron and serve one another and in doing so glorifying your name. So, Father, as I pray each Sunday, I ask you to give us ears to hear you, eyes to see you, and hearts that will love you more than anything else on this earth. And I ask this through Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth. In his name I pray, amen. The year was 1992. The Olympics were on the horizon. This year, though, there was a little bit of a different feel, especially in the area of men's basketball. In 1988, the U.S. men's basketball team, which consisted of amateur basketball players, collegiate players, had come home with the bronze. And this was simply unacceptable. So for the first time ever in American Olympic history, professionals were going to be allowed to play on the United States Olympic basketball team. And what a team was assembled. To this day, many sports historians refer to it as the dream team and say that it is the greatest collection of athletes ever assembled in one team. Names that are legends in the NBA, Michael Jordan, Magic Johnson, Larry Bird, David Robinson, Patrick Ewing, Charles Barkley, Now, they cruised through the Olympics really with no competition. Nobody could compete with them. And even their practices at times were kind of lackluster. They would just simply go through the motions except for one day. Head coach Chuck Daly gathered the team together, and then he turned to the reporters and he kicked every reporter out of the gym except two And they were not allowed to have any video cameras whatsoever. They could simply take notes on what they saw. And then Coach Daly looked at his team and he said these words. Go after it. Don't hold anything back. And for the next 30 minutes, those who witnessed it said it was the most incredible display of basketball they had ever seen. Michael Jordan says to this day that that was the best game 
that he was ever in. Jordan against Johnson. Barkley against Carl Malone. Up to that point, the players had held back. But in that one moment for 30 minutes, they played with everything they had. And the results were incredible. When the church doesn't hold back and begins to serve based upon the giftedness that God has given us and based upon the redemption that has been applied to us through Jesus, the results will be incredible. And really there is no reason for the church not to serve to the utmost of its capability. If there were ever a reason that could be given, it would be the reason of persecution. That's what the church to whom John is writing is facing. They are starting to be persecuted. And those who are not being persecuted are almost being lulled to sleep by pleasure, by the ease of life that they have. And so these two P's, persecution and pleasure, are robbing the church of serving, of keeping focused upon Jesus Christ. The book of Revelation is written to encourage the church not to give up in following Jesus, not to allow fear to rob their faith, and not to stop serving. So at the very beginning, the tone is set. Verses 4 and 5, John begins with the Trinity. And in doing so, he is reminding a church, he's reminding us that we have everything that we need, not just to persevere and endure, but to thrive in serving one another. Notice how he begins in verse 4. Grace to you and peace from Him. That's a reference to God. Who is and who was and who is to come. He begins by reminding us that God the Father is eternal. So we are serving the one who is eternal. The kingdoms of this world will fade away. The structures of this world will one day be dissolved in the judgment of God. However, it is God who was and who is and who shall always be. And this God who is eternal has given us, in verse 4, the seven spirits who are before His throne. Now, let me be clear here. There are not literally seven spirits. There is one Holy Spirit. But it is described in Revelation as seven spirits as a reminder that the Spirit who proceeds from the throne of God, who is God, is perfect in every way, able to supply everything that we might need. The Spirit lacks nothing. And if the Spirit is indwelling us, which believer He is, that means that you are lacking nothing that you need to serve and to be faithful in following Jesus. And then in verse 5, John moves to Jesus. Grace and peace to you and from Jesus Christ. Now there are three phrases that are used to describe Jesus. And each phrase is applicable to the situation of the believers that are reading it. And each phrase also applies to us. The faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and a ruler of kings of the earth. Each description is meant to answer a question or a need that may arise to say, Can we be faithful? If we are afraid of witnessing for Jesus when the heat of persecution is burning intensely, we are reminded that Jesus is the faithful witness. We are following the one who when he was brought to trial before Pilate with his very life on the line did not back down in the least. But when asked, are you the king of the Jews? He said, you have said it yourself. He is also the firstborn of the dead. 
The question arises, if I'm a faithful witness, what if they kill me? It's a very reasonable question into what they were facing and what many of our brothers and sisters face around the world. The answer is that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. He is the firstborn of the dead, implying there will be more. But Jesus is preeminent in the resurrection, setting the prototype of what the resurrection body will be. Therefore, he is saying, you need not even fear death. If it is not death we fear, it may have been for these readers, Nero. For us, it may be fear of the political landscape that surrounds us. And guess what is given to meet that fear? It is Jesus who is the ruler of kings of the earth. So he is saying, you focus on who Jesus is and you will find that you have the resources necessary to be faithful in your proclamation, in your life, and in your service. Now those truths about the Trinity lead then into worship. At the end of verse 5, John moves in to worship to him. Now notice to him is really completed in verse 6. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. That's a doxology. It's a song of praise. So this truth about who the Trinity is and how the Trinity supplies all that we need moves into worship. Now worship is crucial. The issue is not, will you and I worship? We are worshiping beings. The question is, who or what will we worship? There will always be something at the center point of your life determining your actions and beliefs. Always. God created us that way. That's why what we worship needs to be clear in our minds because we will become like that which we worship. You will begin to take on the characteristics of that which is central in your life. I'll give you an example from history of two men, two brilliant men. One was the scientist Charles Darwin, who once wrote in his autobiography, quote, My chief enjoyment and sole employment throughout life has been scientific work. I am never idle. It's the only thing that makes life endurable to me. Now, he has just identified the one thing in his life that he worshipped. So the question becomes then, how did that scientific work, which was the center point of his life, affect him? Up to the age of 30, he also wrote in his autobiography, poetry gave him great pleasure. And he took intense delight in Shakespeare. But then he writes, but now for many years I have found it so intolerably dull that it nauseated me. My mind seems to have become a kind of machine for grinding general laws out of large collections of facts. This loss, now listen to this, is a loss of happiness. I became a withered leaf for every subject except science. When science became the center of his life, he said, my mind began turning out scientific facts. But I withered up. I became a dry leaf. Now compare that with another genius, the theologian Jonathan Edwards. At the age of 19, Edwards wrote in his journal, Resolved to cast my soul on the Lord Jesus Christ, to trust and confide in Him, and consecrate myself wholly to Him. He's just identified the center point of his life. 
Later in his life, Edwards reflected on this object of worship and he said, quote, It has brought an expressible, inexpressible purity, brightness, peacefulness, ravishment to the soul. In other words, it made the soul like a field or garden. On one hand is Darwin who says, Science became my God and I withered away. And Edwards who says, Jesus Christ was the centerpiece of my worship and I became like a garden. We will become like that which we worship. Now, in case there is any doubt that our worship should be centered upon Jesus, John moves to give us reasons why Jesus Christ should take center stage in the theater of worship. He gives three reasons. First is this. Notice in verse 6 or verse 5, He loves us. Now, this is a description of who Jesus is. He is defined by the action of love. He is characterized by His love for us. And it is an ongoing love that flows from Him. Love flows from Him. We are not the cause of His love. Love flows from Jesus like light emanates from the sun. And the challenge for us is to describe the love of Jesus. I wish I could put into words the love of Jesus. For how do you describe a love that is so fierce, that holds us so tightly, that nothing can separate us from Him? It is indescribable. How do you describe a love that is so enduring, it will last into eternity? It is indescribable. How do you describe a love that is so faithful that it will never fail. It is indescribable. How do you describe a love that is so pure that it removes all impurities and makes us to be without blemish? Such a love is indescribable and inexhaustible and we cannot express it, but I hope you have experienced it. Do you know the love of Jesus that pursues you, that holds you, that sustains you? Is your heart open to it? There are many descriptive words used to describe the love of Jesus, but none are so odd to us as the words used by the 19th century poet Francis Thomas when he described Jesus. Now get this, and it is not offensive, and I'll explain. When he described Jesus as the hound of heaven. You see, Francis Thomas was a follower of Jesus, but he struggled with poverty, poor health, and an addiction to opium. In the depths of his despair, he described trying to run from God. He said, I fled from him. Down the nights and down the days, I hid from God under running laughter. I sped from those strong feet that followed, followed after me. So he's running from God and God is pursuing him. Jesus is pursuing him. And so he says, unhurrying chase and unperturbed pace, deliberate speed and magic instancy. He describes hearing the feet of Jesus chasing him as a hound after a fox. And he said the voice of Jesus was saying these words, all things betray those who betray me. What you're seeking, Francis, is going to destroy you and betray you. Seek me. That is the love of Jesus that will not let go of us. And it is demonstrated in that he has freed us from his sin, from our sins. To him who loves us and has freed us. 
The second reason to worship him is that he has set you free. He has loosened you. Now the implication is this. Prior to salvation, you and I are captive. And the rope that is tying our hands is our sin. The bars that are imprisoning us are bars that are fashioned by our rebellion against God. The chain that binds us is forged by our own transgressions. But Jesus has cut the rope of sin. He has opened the prison door and He has loosed the chains that bind us. And He has done it by, notice in verse 5, His blood. Now that's a way of referring to the death of Jesus Christ. So how did the death of Jesus set us free. The New Testament term used for that is ransom. An amount paid to gain freedom. So the death of Jesus was paid to gain our freedom. The reason being is this. According to the book of Romans, the wages of sin is death. Now think about that term like this. The bill that comes due from sin is death. Death is the bill that sin delivers. But what if that bill's paid? You have a mortgage. The bank owns the house and you are paying them monthly and at some point if you miss payment, guess what? The bank can show up and say, you've got to go. We're going to be auctioning this house off because we own it, you haven't paid, you're out. However, suppose that glorious day comes and you have paid your mortgage off. The bank has no power over you. If the bank were to show up and to say, we've come to auction off your house, you can say, get off my property. Sin has death in its power. But by the death of Jesus Christ, He has taken that bill and has marked paid in full upon it. So sin no longer has any claim in the life of the believer. He has set us free from the law of sin and death. And He has set us free to become priests. Now that the introduction's over, we can get to the main part of the sermon. That was a joke. Kind of. Look at verse 6. Here's the third reason to worship him. Made us a kingdom of priests. Made us kingdom and priests to his God and Father. Now the language here is Old Testament. Kelsey, if I can get you to move to the next slide. It is Old Testament language from Exodus chapter 19. God says to Moses and Israel, You shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. Now I want you to notice a difference. You shall be. That is a future tense of becoming. Okay, I'm going to make you into this. Look at the language of Revelation. He has made us. Past tense. Church, we're the fulfillment of this. We fulfill what God spoke through Moses. He says, you shall become to me a kingdom of priests. I have made you this. Made is a word of divine creation. This is the work of God. And notice he says, he has made us a kingdom. 
A kingdom not defined by boundaries or ethnicity, but defined by the fact that we are priests. Now, a priest serves. Now, when we hear the term priest, we often think of the Roman Catholic priest with the clerical collar. Put that image out of your mind. A priest is one who is dedicated to serve God. In the Old Testament, the priest served God by taking care of the temple, praying for the people, offering sacrifices on their behalf. If we are priests, and we are, we have been made to serve in the same way. Now, first of all, a priest serves in a temple. It goes hand in hand. Church, we are the temple of God. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says, you are God's temple, referring to you all, the church. So if we are priests, the theater in which we serve is within the church. Nathan read from 1 Peter 2.5, and you'll see it up on the screens here in just a moment. Michael, if we can go to the next slide. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. A house made by the Spirit to be a holy priesthood. To offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. To offer sacrifices born of the Spirit. Now, the question then is, what sacrifices are we to give? Jesus Christ is the once-for-all sacrifice for sins. So the sacrifice we give is not an animal or anything done to merit our salvation, but it is this. The final slide will show it, Romans 12, 1, where he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as what? A living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Christ has not redeemed us so that we can sit back and relax. He has redeemed us that we may worship Him. And an aspect of worship is fulfilling our role as priest. And the sacrifice that we offer is our very bodies, our lives. Lord, take these hands, use them. Lord, take these feet, use them. Take this mind, use it. He has made us for that purpose. Our challenge this month is to rise up to that challenge. Not to be content to be setting saints, but to be serving saints. We rise to that challenge today. I want to ask you to bow your heads with me, if you will. I'm praying, and I'm praying along with the staff and the church leadership that during this month, the Lord is going to continually stir your hearts to say, Lord, I want to get involved. You have been freed to serve. In other words, when you look at the Trinity, there's no reason that we can give not to be faithful in serving. In just a moment, we're going to stand and we're going to sing. And as we sing, if the Lord is stirring your heart, He may be bringing conviction. And you need to pray and say, Lord, forgive me. I've been, I've been neglecting my duty negligent the Lord may be giving you a word of encouragement he's prompting you he's nudging you forward I just encourage you to step out in faith father we thank you for loving us you've supplied all that we need and for that we give you the glory oh God now Lord help us to be found faithful as priests living up to that which you have done within us.
In the name of Jesus, I pray.